The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Here and, and we'll go home with the gospel message. And yes, that's, that's beautiful. But today, Jesus is shining from the start, starting point. And I want us to just enjoy the ability we have to just fix our eyes on him in this Old Testament passage. I love how John Piper puts it. Jesus Christ is either patterned, promised, or present in every page of Scripture. We get to see him in different forms today in all those ways in, in some senses. God gave us Jesus Christ to bring everlasting and freedom and peace. This is exactly what we need. Some of you might be like, Ross, ah, Jesus' name isn't mentioned in this passage. You might, you might be missing something here, right? And you're right, Jesus' name isn't mentioned, but we know from other contexts in Scripture, we know that, that Jesus is the one the Scripture talks about. If we go to Matthew 4, Matthew 4 helps us a lot, verses 12 through 17, and he writes, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and this is speaking about Jesus, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, oh, chapter 9, might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew four fifteen through 16 draws back to Isaiah, verses 1 through 2, and, and show us that Matthew believed Jesus was this light spoken of. He was this light that dawned on those formerly dwelling in darkness. And you know what's crazy? Interestingly enough, this place that Jesus began his ministry talked about in Matthew 4 is the very place the Assyrians oppressed the Israelites during Isaiah's time, in and around that. The very place, physically, on the ground. One commentator writes this, The very region where the Assyrians brought darkness and death would be the first place to rejoice in the light brought by the preaching of Christ. That's cool. That is so cool. Jesus, he's like, just in, the, in darkness's face, said, I'm just going to bring the light exactly where there, you have experienced oppression and all these things in the past. There's no other reasons we know that, um, that Jesus is the royal there are other reasons that we know Jesus is the royal figure mentioned here, but we'll talk about those later. So God gave us Jesus Christ to bring everlasting freedom and peace. Let's talk a little bit about this freedom and a little bit about this peace. So we're just going to kind of roll through our passage here. Verse 2, we see he gave us freedom from darkness. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Have you ever been in a place that's so dark that you can't even see you know, your hand in front of you? It's almost like it creeps into the the depths of your bones in a place like that. Well, this type of darkness exists no more because Jesus' light has shone into it. Jesus brings us freedom from darkness. Verse 3, freedom from scarcity. We see that you have multiplied the nations. Jesus brings us freedom from just from want and even from need. He brings us freedom to be multiplied and to have abundance. More in verse 3, he brings us freedom from despair. It's written, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you. And this joy is characterized like, as a joy in the harvest. You know, that when there is no, under, no worry about where the next meal will come from. Because it is, it is plentiful in before us. God has provided. Another way we see that Jesus provides freedom is freedom from oppression. 
Moving on to verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors. So we see here the sense of all these things being removed. It says, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So the sense of being captive and terrorized and dominated, it's all been removed. It's all been broken. If we think back to this uh, reference that Isaiah gives in the day of Midian, it, it reminds us of Gideon. And if you're unfamiliar with the story of Gideon, Gideon had a massive army, probably over 30,000. And God looked at him and said, uh, yeah, that's no, a little bit too much. I don't want you to get the credit. I don't want you to boast and think you did it on your own. How about Gideon? How about you start cutting away from your armies? And so Gideon obeys and follows in faith, and he gets down to just 300 men. 300 versus what we see in Judges 7:12 is like the locusts in abundance. So there were so many that the, of the Midianites and the Amalekites that they seemed like locusts covering this, the, uh, the valley floor. But yet God, with his 300 men through Gideon, has a great victory. In verse um, 21, we see, Every man stood in his place around the camp, and the army ran. They cried and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and they all fled. This is the kind of freedom God will bring through his son Jesus, where he gets all the glory and he gets all the credit. It, it is final. There is no, oh, I wonder if they're going to have a chance, you know, to maybe tack us later. It is final and it is finished. Jesus will bring freedom from, an, from oppression in a manner like he did in Gideon's day for us as well. So does anyone have any needs like this? Maybe you, you, we're talking about freedom from oppression, freedom from despair, freedom from darkness. I'll be the first to raise my hand that I have a lot of felt needs like this. Um, and I know others who have even more. So we see Jesus brings freedom. Let's look next at how Jesus brings peace. In verse 5, we see, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So those things that were once used to wage war will be no more. They will be done away with. It makes me think to Psalms 46, where the psalmist writes, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Praise God. So God gave Jesus. He gave us Jesus Christ, not just for momentary freedom or momentary peace. He gave us Jesus for everlasting freedom and peace. You know, the gift of freedom and peace is really not guaranteed without someone to sustain it and to maintain it. Someone to provide this continuing of freedom and peace and to protect it. We see this all too often in the world around us, right? We see maybe freedom purchased for a brief moment only to um, dissolve into disarray. There's endless examples of the failures of governments to provide and protect freedom and peace. Honestly, we shouldn't expect anything less. Uh, we live in a fallen and a broken world. But we kind of are always surprised. Oh, that government, it's terrible. Why did they do that? Well, they're fallen and broken people, and they're not following Jesus. Aaron and I got a chance to see this firsthand. We were in the Middle East in June and July, and we saw just some of the, the ramifications of, of, a, of a government not protecting its people, not providing for its people. We know that coalition forces really purchased a brief moment of freedom and a brief moment of peace back in the early 2000s. Um, but it was momentary at that. There was no one to sustain it, no one to uphold it, or, or at least we know the ones who tried fell very short. And so the Middle East, specifically in this area of Iraq and Afghanistan and others that we see on the news, 
uh, continue to have disorder and chaos and struggles. We know there's more at hand in Iraq than just the government. There's more that is lacking there. But um, it's important for us to see that this lack of leadership, this lack of governance, it will never exist in the rule of Jesus. Never. And so we look to verse 7. In Jesus' rule, the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That is awesome. From this time forth and forevermore. So what kind of ruler could do that? Right? Like we have seen so many poor examples of rulers trying to do that. But what kind of ruler could do that? Let's learn about him in verse 6 a little bit. We've got four things that we see about Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor. He is wise. Wow. Romans 11 reminds us, um, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To, the glo- to him be the glory forever. So we have a wonderful counselor who's wise. We have a mighty God who is powerful. The power that belongs to God belongs to Jesus. It's not like, okay, God's like said, I'm just going to parse off a little bit for you. It is the same power. Hebrews 1.3 tells us, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. Third, we see that Jesus is an eternal father. Now, this one kind of might be a little confusing. Eternal father? What? I thought God was the father. And you were right. God is the father. So this is not confusing Jesus with God the Father and and the Trinity. What this is saying is that Jesus is a father-like figure. He's a father-like figure who cares for us and he provides and he protects us. Something that makes me think of of what we see often in Scripture is what shepherds do for their sheep. I hate to break it to you people, but we're sheep. (laughs) We're just like a sheep wandering astray, but we have a good shepherd. And Jesus reminds us of this in John 10:11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we see more in that passage about the good shepherd knowing his sheep and the sheep knowing the voice of the shepherd. So we have a we have an eternal father in Jesus. Fourth and final what we see about Jesus is he is the prince of peace. He is shalom. Now, this, this, this thought of shalom, we, we sing about it, we talk about what is this, what does it mean? I, I can't describe it better than, again, Isaiah does in, in chapter 11. Let's go to Isaiah 11 and 6 through 9. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall, shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like, fox, or like the ox. And we, in, then in verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is peace. That is peace that only the Prince of Peace can provide. So we see Jesus. We see who he is as a ruler. We see that the government rests upon him, and, and he's a ruler worthy of upholding and sustaining the government. God gave us Jesus Christ to bring us everlasting freedom and peace. I wrestle with this still, though. I wrestle with this still. Because when we look around us, again, I've talked about the Middle East. We could look just to our, our neighbor in Burma, in, in Myanmar. We could look amidst us, ourselves here in Thailand and see at hand, how could this be true? God, if you gave us Jesus Christ to bring freedom and peace, why are we surrounded by the lack of freedom and the lack of peace every day? 
But I want to encourage you, the freedom and peace that Jesus brings is a reality for today. Even if the physical landscape around us is anything but free and peaceful. Again, Aaron and I, we've been blessed to work with the Free Burma Rangers the last year and a half. And we have seen firsthand how God has given freedom and peace while a war wages and displaces over a million people. He is, he's giving peace and freedom in a way that when you look from the outside in, it just seems like objectives that are being fought over tactically and, and from a strategic perspective. Bombs are still dropping. Landmines are destroying families. Raping, pillaging is still happening, but there is peace. And so when you look not at what can be seen, but you look at the unseen, you see a people who are following Jesus. And when they are following Jesus, they have a peace and a freedom in their heart that no one can touch. No one. A joy that lasts. A hope that is rising. And this is from Jesus. No one can take that away. No one can take that away. Not the Burma army or any other government of the world. And so some of you in here might identify with the story of the people of Burma. Perhaps you come from a place where freedom and peace are dreams rather than a reality. Know that Jesus Christ wants to give you everlasting freedom and peace that dwells deep within your soul too. He wants to give it and he is faithful to give it to anyone who receives his son, Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. So let's remember, God is trustworthy to meet our deepest needs. How does he meet our deepest needs? God gave us Jesus Christ to bring everlasting freedom and peace. Let's explore our next question. Why can God be trusted? Why can God be trusted? Let me tell you, friends, God has a perfect record of keeping his promises, no matter the cost to him. God has a perfect record of keeping his promises, no matter the cost to himself. It's interesting, you know, real quick to note the grammar of our passage here. I'm by no means an Old Testament uh, scholar. I can read commentaries well, and I, I, can, I, I enjoy studying the scriptures. But it, it's interesting to learn that when we look at the Hebrew here in this passage, you know, uh, sometimes a writer describes the past as if, it, as if it were really in the future. He does this to emphasize that what was in the future was so sure to happen that they would talk about it as, as if it already did. So we see this in our verse, even in, Eng- in the English translation, in verses two, and f- 2 through 4, we see, have seen a great light, have multiplied, have broken. It's being talked about like it's already been accomplished. God is so trustworthy that Isaiah spoke about God's future promises as if they already happened. So my question is, do we do this? Do we speak about God's promises in this way? I know I don't, and I can grow there. God has a perfect record of keeping his promises no matter the cost to him. We've already seen that briefly about, uh, from Matthew. Matthew 4 shows us that verses 1 through 2 is a fulfillment of prophecy. There's several, several other areas we'll see um, here. We see God keeping his promise to establish a throne of David forever. Verse 7, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. It's amazing. God promised to David 300 years earlier that his throne would last forever. Through the prophet Nathan, he spoke, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's from Second Samuel. And we also know again, back to Matthew, that Jesus is in the line of David. So in Matthew 1, 17, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. 
generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So we see again, Christ is in the line of David. Jesus Christ is reigning right now in heaven. And Jesus Christ will continue to reign forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. I love Revelations 21 when it is written, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Jesus Christ's reign is the fulfillment of God's promise from, for the throne of David to never end. The greatest promise, though, that God has kept and the greatest cost that it has had to him is the sending of his son. If we go to verse 6 of our text, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We think to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I know we say that verse a lot. This passage is familiar to us. But let's not let it lose its impact. God sent his only son. God sent his only son even though his son would be slandered and spit on and and betrayed and sacrificed ultimately. God kept his promise no matter the cost to him. Isaiah again in, in chapter 53 gives us a picture of what Jesus went through. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid him on the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Parents, mothers, fathers, would you keep your promise if you knew your child was going to go through this? Would you keep your promise if you knew your child was was going to be cut down, was going to be oppressed, afflicted, was going to be beaten, was going to be led to the slaughter? That's hard. But we know that our Heavenly Father kept His promise. We know that He was not dissuaded by by the immense pain that ensued. He kept his promise to you and to me. I want to share a brief story about a man named John Griffith who experienced the realities of sacrifice in his life. This was a man who in 1937 was a bridge operator um, working in uh, Oklahoma um, and working really on the Mississippi River area, I believe. Uh, The Mississippi River, if you've never been to... Actually, Oklahoma Mississippi River... I don't think they're overlapped. He's on the Mississippi River. Let's go back to Mississippi River. Um, my geography, yeah, I, I, I barely passed. Uh, Hill and I were in the same class there, so. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, he's working on the Mississippi River, right? Mississippi River in America is a large thoroughfare for goods running north and south, a giant river. He's a bridge operator that would control the bridge, lifting it for ships to pass to go down to the Gulf of Mexico and take goods to market. Or, or the other way. And then he would lower it for trains with, to cross with passengers. So he did this day after day. Raising, lowering the bridge. Well, one day he wanted to bring his son to work. Um, awesome. Many parents want to bring their children to work. So he brought his eight-year-old to work, and they're just having a great day. 
He's showing his son how to do all the different pulleys and levers and operate the different things. Um, and just having a joy to have his, his son there with him. He was so just wrapped up in this, this moment. At one point, as he's just explaining to his son all the different parts and pieces, he, he hears a whistle in the distance. And he realizes, oh my gosh, that is the Memphis Express coming. And not only is it coming, but I still have the drawbridge up. And so he tries to calm his son as, as best he can, and he tells him to stay put, and he runs across the catwalk to the kind of operating shack where there is a lever to, to lower the bridge. And once in, he searched the river to make sure there's no ship, so he didn't drop the bridge on any ship. Um, and then as he was trained to do, he looked beneath the bridge to make sure there's no obstructions in the gears. And to his horror, he saw his son. He saw his son entangled in the gearbox. Who knows what happened, but his son likely was excited that his dad was running out and ran to follow him and slipped off the catwalk into the gears below. And so here stands John in this moment, panicking. His mind is probing, searching frantically for solutions. In his mind's eye, he saw himself grabbing a rope maybe to get his son out from the gearbox. Maybe a ladder, anything to save his son. But then in an instant, he knew He knew that if he went down to get his son, he would not make it up in time to lower the bridge and 400 plus people would die on the train that was approaching. He he sat there to his horror, unsure what to do, but he knew there was only one thing he could do. He knew he would have to do it. And so bearing his face in his arm, he plunged the lever down as the bridge slowly lowers. And with only seconds to spare, the Memphis Express rushes over. But in those same seconds, his joy in his life was crushed to death by the gears that he was entangled. And so John Griffiths, I read, is there looking into the window of this train and he sees sees joyful people reading their morning newspaper, talking, just not a care in the world. No one even looked his way. Not even a cast of a glance. No one knew what had just taken place. No one heard even that a life had just been extinguished at the expense to save theirs. And so this is but a faint glimpse of of what God the Father did for you and for I. He, He did it in sacrificing Jesus, his son, to pay for the sins of the world. And unlike the Memphis Express, and unlike John's situation, John was caught by off guard. John was caught off guard. But God in his great love and according to his sovereign will and purpose determined to sacrifice his son so that we might live. And not only this, Jesus willingly went. He didn't fall off the catwalk like John's son. Jesus willingly went. It was not an accident because his love compelled him to sacrifice himself for you and for me. So my friends, God is trustworthy to meet our deepest needs. How does God meet our deepest needs? God gave us Jesus Christ to bring everlasting freedom and peace. Why can we trust God? God is a perfect record of keeping his promises no matter the cost. And let's explore our last question tonight, or this morning, rather, before we close. How can we continue to trust God when we feel our needs go unmet? How can we continue to trust God when we feel our needs go unmet? I tell you, this is the reality of life. Right? Every day we feel that we have needs that go unmet. But 
But, how do we continue? How do we continue to, to rest upon this reality of, of what God has given us in Jesus Christ? How do we rest on this reality that God is trustworthy because He's fulfilled His promises? Let me encourage you with this. We must give our hearts to Jesus. We must give our hearts to Jesus Christ. What does this mean? This means we must surrender the things that attempt to make our hearts hard so that Jesus can make our hearts soft. I'll explain this some more. From our text, we see Ahaz. Ahaz Ahaz had anything but a soft heart. I talked a little bit about chapter 7 and Ahaz and Isaiah's interaction. But God gave Ahaz an opportunity to trust him. He gave Ahaz an opportunity to ask for a sign to, to rest in God's provision. But, as we know, Ahaz chose not to. He chose to trust in the power of man, the power of the nations, instead of God. I don't know why Ahaz chose this. I don't know why Ahaz's heart was so hard. You know, maybe he uh, just, he was prideful. He wanted to get things his way in the ways that he saw best. Maybe he saw Assyria as a direct route to fulfilling this dream for power. Perhaps Ahaz was also disappointed. Maybe he saw the alliance between Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel, and he saw this and thought, why is this even happening? How could God allow this? We're his people. Why are we even two kingdoms to begin with? Perhaps his heart was disappointed, but his disappointment, uncomforted, led to hardness. So we must give our heart to Jesus because only he can care for our heart and keep it soft. When we give our heart to Jesus, we are surrendering control and asking Jesus to shape and to mold us. I just want to share a couple ways practically that we can do this. It kind of seems uh, maybe very mystical to think, oh, just give my heart to Jesus. Like, how do I do that exactly, you know? So I want to talk about how we can do this in the here and the now, practically. And this is three quick things. So when we do these things, we, we uncover the darkness that's trying to overtake us. That's what this is about. It's about exposing our heart to Jesus, uncovering that darkness, inviting his light in so that he can dwell within us and shape and mold us. So this first thing we can do is, and all these things, I, I should say, are, are really centered around exposing lies that try to consume our heart, right? That try to put us in the darkness. So there's, there's the first lie that we think or we feel. God really doesn't know what I need. Or he doesn't care that he can meet my needs. God doesn't really know what I need, or if he does, he can't really meet my needs. So let me just say, perhaps you need a, you have a, a felt need for clarity about the future. That's one felt need that we all have. Well, let me share with you God's truth from, Ephesians, from Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure if Jesus will give you clarity the way you want it, but I believe he will give you just what you need. Perhaps he will guide you in his word to a passage that illuminates your mind. Perhaps he will speak through a friend in a special way. Perhaps he will remain silent. Imagine that. Perhaps he'll remain silent because he wants you to continue to seek after him. But we can know from, a, from Philippians 4 that God will provide for our needs. So if God doesn't provide in, in the way we think we need it or the time we think we need it, we can trust that God is providing just what we need. Isn't that funny? That can just undercut all of some of our fears there if we truly trust in the realities of this word. A second line we sometimes think and feel, God really doesn't care about my needs. So if the first one is about God not knowing or not being able to meet our needs, the second one is this lie about not caring about our needs. Let me share with you a truth from, from Matthew 7, 
7 through 11. Jesus is speaking here. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Man, I love the directness of Jesus. He just calls it like it is. He says, if you're evil, you are evil. But you give your kids good stuff. I am good. Your father is good. How much better is he going to give you good things? So I don't know if maybe you have a need here, a felt need for companionship. So I just want to speak into that and say, I'm not sure if Jesus wants you to have a husband or a wife. But I know one thing is I believe he will give you good things. Perhaps a new friend, perhaps just contentment in him, or perhaps just grace to wait. But God will give you good things. This last lie that we think or feel that will really help us to take our heart to Jesus is this. We are better off trusting in other people or other things to meet our needs. Better off trusting in other people or other things to meet our needs. Matthew 11 helps us speak truth into this. Jesus again says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We think about our passage, and we think about this yoke that has been broken, right? This yoke of oppression. But we see here a yoke that brings freedom. Ahaz himself put himself into and under this yoke with the Assyrians that one day conquered him and one day overcame the people of Judah and the kingdom of Judah. But when we put ourselves into the, under the yoke of Jesus, he will give us rest. He will provide so I don't know what out there you are attempting to put your trust in. Maybe, um, maybe it's food, maybe it's alcohol or Instagram or friends or work. But all those things will eventually bear a yoke that will oppress us. Only the yoke of Jesus will bring us freedom and rest and joy and peace. So how can we trust God when it feels like our needs go unmet? We must give our hearts to Jesus. All right, so we've, we've seen here in this amazing passage of Isaiah 9 that God is trustworthy to meet our deepest needs. We've seen a couple of things. God gave us Jesus Christ to bring everlasting freedom and peace. God has a perfect record of keeping his promises no matter the cost to him. And we must give our heart to Jesus. Let me share this final thought. I know some of you here might still be having a hard time giving your heart to Jesus. Well, if not, if not today, tomorrow you may. I know I do. Years of disappointments and shattered dreams have left your heart hard towards God. Perhaps God cannot be trusted in your mind. Can I share just one final truth from God's word? God is for you. God is for us. Let's finish with verse 7. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord will free you from darkness and oppression. The zeal of the Lord will bring peace and cause the conflicts of this world to cease. The zeal of the Lord will establish, uphold, and increase the loving reign of Jesus Christ forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. God wants us to experience his everlasting freedom and peace. He wants us to experience the protection and provision of living under his loving reign. Final, final passage here in Romans 8, 
31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all. He, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for us. God is trustworthy to meet our needs, friends. God is trustworthy. How do we know this? Let's look to Jesus. This Christmas, next Christmas, forevermore, the months in between, let's look to Jesus. God's only Son sent to us. Whoever so believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, our wonderful Counselor. Jesus, our mighty God. Jesus, our eternal Father. Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Friends, He's coming again. He came once and He will come again. Let's be ready to receive Him. I'd like to invite the worship team up and we'll pray. Jesus, thank You that we can experience everlasting freedom and peace because Your reign is forever. Your reign is good. You're for us. Jesus, I pray just against the things that that distract us, that dissuade us, that discourage us, I pray that we would bring those things to you and that you would soften our heart, that you would comfort our heart, that you would increase our faith to follow you, even when it seems like the world around us says anything but what you have promised. Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room today that has not decided to follow you, has not put their trust in you, that they would not leave this room without coming to you. Jesus, draw your people to you. Draw us to you so that we can know you more and more each day. We love you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.